I'm glad I've been to Calvary. Amen. Praise the Lord, man. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for what Jesus did for us on the cross. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God? And I want to ask you to join me now. I'm on page number 768. If you have an old Schofield Bible, 768 tonight. Or the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter number 64. Page 768, I want you to join me there. I'd like to read maybe just two or three verses here to start with. And then I want to kind of jump around in this chapter here a little bit. And I want to kind of, if I may, I want to just kind of follow up a little bit on what Brother Jay was talking about a moment ago about revival, okay? And if you'll join me here, Isaiah chapter 64. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for praying for the services and for showing up tonight. I'm so glad you're here. Hopefully, before too much longer, we can get the choir started back up again. That would be a real blessing. And then we can start Sunday school back up again and start running our church buses again. And I sure am excited about all that going forward, aren't you? And I've had, I, I thank God for what we got now, but I sure think there's a whole lot more than what we're doing. And uh, so we want to get that done right, as quick as we can. And uh, you pray for us and pray that God will help us and give us wisdom going forward. All right, Isaiah chapter 64. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. Look at verse number one. Here's a prayer of Isaiah. Here's what he says. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. Look at verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Boy, these are some great verses tonight, and I'm not even sure that I'll even scratch around in them much, but i tell you what, just right there is enough to cause us to want to hit the altar right there. I mean, just those verses tonight, uh, just what he said right there ought to be our prayer, our heart's desire. I'm preaching tonight on this thought, a prayer for revival, a prayer for revival. Let's pray. Father, please bless your word tonight. Thank you for the good singing, good music. Thank you for the good fellowship, the sweet spirit of God. I pray you'd help us tonight. Bless your word and speak to our hearts, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is in my heart and these uh, services, Lord willing, coming up, I want to take a few of our Sunday evening services and I want to preach on the subject of revival. Just talk a little bit about revival. You know, one of the statements that we hear a lot made in, in our day is the one that says our country needs revival. And that is so true, isn't it? Our nation needs a revival. Or we say something like this, boy, our church, our church sure does need a revival. Or we say something like this, let's pray for revival. Now, those are common statements that you hear in just about every church in America. Our country needs revival. Our church needs revival. We need to pray for revival. But what do we mean when we say 
a revival. What do we mean when we say our country needs revival? Our church needs revival. We need to pray for revival. I found this out. When it comes to the word revival, that word revival is used in a variety, in a variety of ways. For instance, think with me along these lines. The word revival is used in the field of theater. That's right. They use the word revival in the, in the world of the field of theater because there the word revival means this, a new production of an old play or movie. In other words, that word revival is used anytime they bring back an old movie or an old play and they revamp it, revise it, and they do it again. They say, man, this is a revival. That word's used in the world of entertainment. The word is also used in the world of architecture. In other in other words, in that sense, it's, it's used like this, a restoration of a use after a period of obscurity. And then they said this, like the revival of colonial architecture. In other words, when they go back, our, our architects, and, and they start building things today to resemble things that used to be years ago, they call that a revival, a colonial uh, revival or a gothic revival. Uh, you know, when they go back and they design buildings to look like they looked years ago, they call that a revival. That word is also used, the word revival in the medical field. When somebody loses consciousness or they even maybe even die on the table and they're brought back to life or they're brought back to consciousness after they fainted, they say, hey, this person has been revived. This person has received a revival. It's a medical term. It's an architectural term. It's an entertainment term. It's also an economical term. How many times have you heard our politicians talk about recently after this COVID-19 has literally just stopped our country, economically speaking, in its tracks. I mean, shut our nation down. Something we can't even see has brought our nation to a screeching halt. But how many times have you heard the politician talk about in recent days, we need to revive our economy. Yeah, you've heard that. A reviving of our economy. It's an economical term, but it's also a legal term. Uh, in other words, they say in the field of law, when there's the reestablishment of a legal claim or a judgment, it is spoken of as have been, uh, it, is, has, uh, it has been revived. It's been brought back once again. But you know something? I don't know much about that word when it comes to entertainment. I don't know a whole lot about that word when it comes to architecture. I don't know really a whole lot about that word when it comes to the medical field or the, economic, the field of, uh, of, uh, of, of finances or even in legal terms, but being a church man, being a church crowd, I'm familiar with what the word revival means. It's used in the sense of getting people to come back to God once again. In one definition that I read of the word revival, the definition was this. Revival is an awakening in a church or a community that brings a new interest in and a desire for spiritual matters. I'd say that's a good definition of revival, an awakening. I mean when God grabs us and just shakes us and wakes us back up again, and all of a sudden there's a new desire, there's a new hunger, there's a new interest in spiritual matters. Here's another definition of the word revival. It said this, a revival is a renewed interest or a new attention given to religious matters. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't even like the word religion. 
It's only used five times in the Bible, and three of those times it's used in the negative sense. Uh, I don't like the word religion, but could we say it like this? A revival is a renewed interest or a new attention that's been given to our Savior. Or maybe I could say it best like this. Revival is a time when God's people begin to greatly seek after to greatly go after and plead for the presence and the power of God once again. That's what revival is. I, I, I want, I pray, I want, I want to see a revival. I really do. One of my favorite words in the Bible for the word revival. Now, it's not the word revival, but this word is used many times, I think, in conjunction with the word revival. And it's the word visit or visitation. Let me show it to you. In Psalms 80 and verse number 14, the Bible says this, return. This is, this is the, the, the psalmist crying out, and he's crying on behalf of his nation. And here's what he said, return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. He says this, look down from heaven and behold, and what's the next word? And visit this vine. Now, the nation of Israel is pictured as a vine, being a vine that was brought out of the land of Egypt. And now here they are. They've been uprooted. They've been carrying off into the land of captivity. And now the psalmist is saying, Oh God, we want you to look down in the time of our trouble, in the time of our despair. And oh God, would you just come down one more time and visit this vine. Boy, I pray God will visit my heart. I pray God will visit my life. I pray the Lord will visit my family. I pray God will visit our church. I pray the Lord will visit our country. I'm telling you, we need a divine visitation from God once again. However, you may define the word revival. I think the one thing we can all come to an agreement on is the fact that we need for God to visit us again. We need for God to become real to us again. We need for God to become a focus and a priority in our lives once again. We need a renewed interest in the things of God once again. And that's why I had you to open your Bible to Psalm 64 because what we got here is, a, is, is, the, is the prophet as he cries out to God for revival. All right? So I want you to look tonight. I'm calling this a prayer for revival, because in reality, that's what he's doing. So I've broken this text down tonight into three statements, all right? First of all, look at verse number one. I, I see number one, in verse number one, I see this, a plea for the presence of God. A plea for the presence of God. If you look at verse number one, the, the, the prophet starts off like this. Oh God, oh that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. So he's just praying now just what I want us to pray. Oh God, come down. Oh God, break through the heavens. Oh God, visit your people. Oh God, help us in these days. That is a plea for the presence of God. Now, if you'll look in this text tonight, I want to show you as the prophet begins to pray this prayer for revival, he mentions two things as he pleads for the presence of God. First of all, he mentions a past visitation. A, a, in other words, he mentions a time when God did come down. He mentions a time in the past when God visited his people. It's found there in verse number 3. I want you to notice how these words are used in the past tense. Notice in verse number 3, when thou, and then here's the first word, didst. 
Now, we don't really use that word a whole lot, but in reality, that's a word in the past tense. He said, God, what we want you to do for us now is to do what you did back yonder in those days. When thou, look at verse 3, when thou didst terrible things. And then he uses this word, which we look not for, thou, and then here's another past tense word, when thou camest down again. We don't use that word a whole lot, but he's just saying this, Lord, would you do it again? Oh, God, you did it in the past. Lord, you came down in the past. God, you broke through the heavens in the past. And Lord, I'm just praying, my prayer, my plea to you, God, is oh, God, would you just do it again? Well, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, that'd be a great way to pray for revival. Oh, God, you did it back yonder. Oh, Lord, would you do it again? Lord, would you help us? God, would you breakthrough. God, would you come down? God, would you visit us? God, would you look upon us? Oh, God, would you help us in these days? A past visitation. Now, if you look there at verse number three, he speaks about some marvelous things God has done. Look at this. He said this in verse number three. When thou didst terrible things, terrible things. Now, normally, we associate the word terrible with, with bad. I mean, you know, we say stuff like this. We'll say something like this. Boy, that medicine tasted terrible. Uh, we'll say something like this. Man, that food was terrible. Or I would say something like this. Tomatoes are terrible. Or maybe I'd even say this. Tar Heels are terrible. I mean, that's the way we use it. means bad. It means we use that word terrible in the negative sense. But I'll tell you, it's not being used in the negative sense here. In other words, that word terrible in this text simply means uh, the awesome or the amazing things that God has done. Look at verse number 3. When thou didst amazing things, when thou did great things, things which caused people to marvel. And he's looking back and he's thinking about those marvelous things. And then he mentions again in verse number three, the mighty things God has done. For instance, there in verse number three, he said, in verse number one, he talked about the mountains flowing down. Now, what is a mountain? Well, let me tell you what a mountain is. A mountain is an obstacle. A mountain is an obstruction. It's a hurdle. It's a problem. But we're told that when God comes down, when God breaks through, when God comes down, the Bible tells us that those things are moved away. They are, they are vanished away. I don't know exactly what the prophet is talking about here. I don't know as he thinks about the past times in, in the history of the nation when God did those marvelous things, when God did those mighty things. I don't know if he's God in his mind when Israel came to the Red Sea after their exodus from the land of Egypt and they came up against the Red Sea and the mountains were on both sides. The Red Sea was in front of them and Pharaoh's army was breathing down their neck from behind. But God broke through. God came down and God did something marvelous and God did something mighty and he caused the waters to stand up on a heap and the children of Israel went over on dry ground. That's a marvelous thing. That's a mighty thing that God did. Maybe it was when they were crossing, uh, brought to the uh, the promised land and just before they crossed over there's the Jordan River and that the river was at flood stage and here they are needing to get across that river and uh, the crazy thing is it's flooded at this time. Been a lot of rain and it's flooded and once again God did something marvelous and God did something mighty. He caused the waters to stand up again and the children of Israel went over on dry ground. I don't know if he's thinking about when they came up against the wall 
walls of Jericho and they marched around those walls one time a day for six days and on the seventh day they marched seven times around and they shouted and blew the trumpets and lo and behold them crazy walls just came falling down. That's a marvelous thing. That's a mighty thing. But the psalmist said I know one thing. You did it back yonder and my prayer is oh God do it again. It made a past visitation. But then he mentions not only a past visitation, but he mentions a present situation. Look at verse number one. See if this just don't define where we're at. In verse number one, he said, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. Now, what does that mean? Rend the heavens. Come down. What does that mean? Well, can I show you a couple of verses I think will clear up what that statement means? Because he's just praying, oh God, for sight count the language, God break through the heavens. Oh God, shatter the heavens and come down. What's he talking about? Well, here's what we find in our Old Testament. Back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and in verse number 15, God told his people, the nation of Israel, as they were marching through the wilderness, if you ever come to the place that you begin to disobey my voice and disobey my word, here's what he said, but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. In other words, God said, you disobey me, you start walking contrary to my word. These curses are going to come upon you. Now, what is one of those curses that God was talking about? Well, a little bit later in that same chapter, verse 23, here's what one of those curses were. In verse 23, God said, you walk contrary to me, you start disobeying my word, you fail to listen to me, shut your ears up, pull away your shoulder, you don't want anything to do with me. God said, the heavens that are over thee shall be brass. In other words, God said the heavens are going to just completely shut up. God said the heavens are going to, be, are they going to become brass. They're going to become silent. They're going to become hard. They're going to become shut. In other words, God was saying there won't be any voice from heaven. There won't be any sign from heaven. It's going to be like it was in the days of Samuel when we read that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. And that doesn't mean treasured or loved, but it simply means this, scarce, or it means limited, or it means rare. And God said, when you start walking contrary to me, I'm going to close these heavens up. These heavens are going to get brassy. These heavens are going to become hard. And buddy, you're going to wish to God you had a listen and obeyed me. Now watch this. It wasn't that these people had ceased being God's people. In other words, we're not talking about some people that were saved and got lost. Because if you look down at verse number 9, the last phrase, the people say this, we are thy people. Hey, they hadn't become lost. They'd just become disobedient. They'd just become a little bit callous toward God. They'd just become a little bit nonchalant in their relationship with God. And because of that, the heavens had become brass. And the, the, the prophet is now praying, Oh God, 
Oh, Lord, rend the heavens. God, pull them apart. God, stomp through the brass. Oh, God, come down once again. Then he said this, if you'll look at verse number two. God, when you do that, when, when you come down, he said the fire will start burning again. And God, when the fire starts burning again, the waters will start boiling again. So let me give you a definition. This is the Gammon's theological definition of what a revival is. Here it is. A revival is when God rids the heavens, comes down, rekindles the fire, and the waters start boiling again. That is a scriptural definition of what heaven really is. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about when God comes down. I'm talking about when God busts through the heavens. I'm talking about when the fire starts burning again. I'm talking about when the waters start boiling. Hey, listen, Isaiah said, you've done it before. Oh, God, do it again. Many of you older members of Woodland can remember those days, if you've been here a while, back in the 60s and the 70s, and they'd have spring revival right before homecoming in May, and they They'd have fall revival sometime in September and it was nothing back in those days. I mean, after revival was over to baptize 30, 35, 40 people that had been saved. I mean, that was nothing. I mean, things like that were just going on here and there. You know why? God was real. But I'll tell you what's happened. We've turned a deaf ear to God. We've walked away from God. We've accepted things and embraced things that God never intended for us to accept or embrace as a nation. And ladies and gentlemen, the heavens above us have become brass and somebody needs to look up to heaven and say God break through again God come down rend these heavens come down oh God cause the fire to burn and the waters to boil again there's a plea there's a plea for the presence of God boy if we ever needed that we need it in these days Oh, God, the only thing that's going to help America. Listen, they can vote Joe Biden in. They can vote whoever they want to vote in. They can change Congress. They can change the Senate. They can do whatever. And by the way, we need some changes. But I'll tell you what, we can change and change and change. But unless we drag this nation back in the direction of Almighty God, all we're doing is rearranging the deck furniture on the sinking Titanic. Friends, she's going down. Friends, she's about to sink. But oh God, God can save us again. A plea. A plea for the presence of God. But then notice number two in this text. There's not only a plea for the presence of God, but there's a purpose for the power of God. Look at verse number, look at verse number two. There's a reason why we need revival. There's a reason. Can I say it? There's a reason why we need revival. You see, when God comes down, according to verse number two, when God rends the heavens, when God just tears them up, and when God comes down, and when the fire is rekindled, and when the water starts boiling again, two things are going to happen. Notice at the end of verse number two, number one, there'll be a personal change. A personal change. Look at this. He said, God, if you'll do all of that, you'll make yourself known to thine adversaries. Now, what's that talking about? Well, we know that an adversary is somebody that's opposed or somebody that is an opponent. In other words, when uh, the prophet here talks about the adversaries of God, he's talking about those that oppose God. 
Or maybe we could say it in some kind of a foolish little way, somebody that is an opponent to God. Boy, I'll tell you what, you're fighting or losing a battle if you're an opponent to God. Amen. I mean, you're fighting a battle. You can't afford to lose. Hey, can I tell you this? God, God may have a lot of enemies, but he don't have any rivals, friend. But he said, hey, these adversaries. Now, we all know people that are opposed to God. We all know people that, that may not would say this, but they're an opponent to God. They're in opposition to anything that God wants to do in their life. They're in opposition to anything that God says in this precious old King James Schofield Bible right here. They're in opposition against that. They don't want that. They oppose that. But Isaiah said, Lord, when you come down, Lord, when those fires start burning again, God, when those waters start boiling again, the one thing that's going to happen, those that oppose you, those of your opponents, those of your adversary, they're going to know one thing, that you are God. Now, we all know people like that. You got them in your family. I got them in my family. I would say I work around them, but I hope I don't work around any of them here at church. But you work around them. They're in your family. They oppose God. They mock you and ridicule old-time religion. They don't understand why in the world you need to come to church four times a week or three times a week. They don't understand why you put God where you put God at in your life. They laugh at you and make fun of you. But can I tell you something? Boy, if God would just become real again, if God would just come down in power, I promise you this, there'd be a personal change in the lives of the adversaries of Almighty God. If God ever breaks through, look out, it's on. Amen. There'll be a personal change, but here's what I want you to see. Look again at verse number two. There'll be a national change. Look at the end of verse number two. He says this, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. That the na Now, he's going to talk about, boy, there's going to be some personal changes made. Yeah, those adversaries, they're going to wake up and know you're God. But I like what the prophet said right here when he said this, the whole nation. And not just this one, but all of them. Uh, all of them are going to know. Verse number two, they're going to tremble at thy presence. You know, let's face it, we're sitting around. I think maybe Brother Jay said this a moment ago, but we're sitting around waiting on the nation to have revival. The nation's sitting around waiting on the church to have revival. And while we're waiting on each other, we're just drifting farther and farther and farther away from God. I want to read you, and I, I didn't write the ladies down. I want to say her last name was Heth, H-E-T-H. -H. It was either that or it was in that. I know it started with an H, but this, is, this woman is a CIA agent. She is a lady that has been assigned. It was on my news feed this week. I thought, man, she's assigned, been assigned to study other nations that went through great upheaval, great times of turmoil and trouble. She, she has been assigned to look at these nations that have gone through these periods of time. And here is what she said. She said, what is happening today in America normally happens right before the collapse of a nation. That ain't the wranglings of a Baptist preacher. Hey, that ain't a Baptist preacher using scare rhetoric to try to get people to get right with God. That's a CIA director. 
A lady that's been studied, that studied other nations, other countries, saw the turmoil, the upheaval, the uprising, seen all of that, and she said, you know what? The thing about it is what we're seeing happen here in America normally happens in other countries right before that nation collapses. Ladies and gentlemen, if it's not time to wake up, I don't know when it's going to be time to wake up. If it's not a time to start praying, oh God, rim the heavens. Oh God, come down. Oh God, kindle the fire. Oh God, cause the waters to boil again. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, our nation is gone if the church don't rise up, if God's people don't rise up and call on the name of Almighty God and intercede on the behalf of our nation. She's a goner, friend. Stick a fork in her. She's done. Cut the lights out. Put her in the freezer. Crank the bus. Whatever you want to say, she's done. Unless God's people pray for God to come down again. Yes, sir. There's a plea for the presence of God. There's a purpose for the power of God. Only God can help us out of this mess. But I want to close with this. There's a prerequisite for the people of God. Isaiah just don't leave it like this, but he says, okay. He says, uh, but now God's people have got to play a part in this. In other words, he says in this same text, God's people have got to do some things before God's going to come down again. God's people have got to do some things if God's going to break through, shatter those brassy heavens. If the waters are going to, if the fires are going to fire up, be rekindled again, and the waters are going to boil, God's people is going to have to have a part in that. And let me show you two things he says as we close the message tonight. Let me show you two things he says. First of all, God's people are going to have to deal with their iniquity. Look at verse number 6. And I want to give you a different spin on this verse, but look at verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. Can I tell you something? The best of us is unclean in the sight of God. We are all... I was trying to preach that this morning. I probably should have just opened my Bible and read this verse. I was trying to tell you what we are without God. We're, uh, we're uh, poor in spirit. We're broken. We're bankrupt. We're, we're steep in poverty, abject poverty, with nothing to offer God. We are all as an unclean thing. And then notice this next phrase. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Now, wait a minute. God didn't say all of our sins are as filthy rags. God said our righteousnesses. Wait a minute, let me put that for South County language. The best that we do. Hey, not the worst that we do. God didn't say, hey, the worst you do is in my sight, filthy rags. But you know what God said? God said the best that we do. Our goodness in the sight of, of a holy God, is as filthy. Boy, that kind of puts us in our place, don't it? We think we've done God some kind of a wild favor if we read our Bible every day. If we pray every day, show up at church three times a week, and drop something in the offering receptacles. We think, man, we're doing good. God, God said, hey, I just want to tell you the best you can do in my sight, filth. Boy, that kind of puts us in our place, don't it? Amen. That our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
But he ain't even talking about our bad stuff. He's talking about the best we can do. Filthy rags. That phrase, filthy rags, that's some old leprous rags. When somebody would get leprosy and they would, their sores would start oozing, all that pus and that, that infection would start oozing out, they would wrap those rags around those sore spots. And those rags would absorb that infection, that liquid as it oozed out. And then, of course, you can imagine the smell. God said, I just want to tell you, the best y'all can do, the best Brother Tim can do, is like old filthy leopard's rags. Now, if that's my best, oh, God, have mercy on me. If that's my good things, and they're leper rags, stinking, putrefying, rotten, leopard's rags in the sight of God, oh, God, have mercy on me for the bad. What is my bad things like, Lord? Well, I tell you what, that's enough to cause us all to just crawl our way up here to the altar. Say, oh God, if my best is filthy rags, I'd hate to see what some of these other things I've done, what they're like in your sight. We're going to have to deal with our iniquities. But I'm done. Look at this. We're going to have to deal with our, and this is, this is the nail on the head. We're going to have to deal with our indifference. Look at this verse. This is a shocking verse. Look at verse number 7. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. You know what God said? You're going to have to deal with your sin. And we all, we all. Can I tell you something? Look at me. I love everybody from that corner to that corner, from that back wall to that back wall, but we all, we all got to deal with our sin. But then he says, here's the problem, though, God said. Here's what amazes me, that there's nobody calling on me, that there's nobody stirring himself up. There's nobody willing to get stirred up anymore. I mean, listen, we talk about how bad it is. I mean, we watch it on the news every night. And my wife and I, we were coming up the road the other day, and I was talking about it, and I said, man, I've got to about lose hope on this thing. We talk about it. But when do we talk to God about it? I'm talking about just talking to God about it. He said, hey, when are we going to get stirred up about it? I'll tell you what, bless your heart, this crowd stirred up in the streets. They're throwing stuff through windows and carrying diamond necklaces out. And, and I mean running over people and killing people and cussing people, spray painting everything. They're stirred up about it. Here we sit in our church. We ain't stirred about it. You say, what can we do? Pray like crazy. And I want to call Now, I've, I've, I've left this without any hope, but I'll give you some hope now. I want you to join me in verse 4 and we're done. You talk about hope. Look at verse 4. Now, I, before I read this verse, this verse reminds me of a verse over in our New Testament. You remember that verse, and I think it's 1 Corinthians 2, 9, where Paul said this, But I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. I think he got the inspiration for that verse from verse 4. Because in verse 4, here's what he says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Can I put that in Forsyth County language? Who knows what God might do? 
who can tell what the Lord might do? Hey, wouldn't you like to see us to have revival in America again? I mean, when people were hunting God and seeking God, God, the Bible said, man, we hadn't thought about it. We hadn't seen it. We hadn't even, hadn't even in our mind what God can do, will do, if we'll just wait and call and get right and call upon him. There's no telling what God might do. You say, preacher, it's late. It is late. You say, preacher, it's bad. It is bad. You say, preacher, it's dark. It is dark. You say, preacher, it's about over. You're right. It's the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs. And two strikes on the banner, it's late. But I know one thing. If God can revive and save people in the middle of the tribulation period, the number of whom is the sand by the grains of the uh, sands of grains by the seashore. If God can do it in the midst of that anarchy and that apostasy and all that apathy in the tribulation period, if God can do it then, God can do it in the closing days of grace. Who can tell what the Lord might do? But God said, I'm just shocked that nobody's calling on me and nobody's getting stirred up about it. Don't you think it's time we get stirred up and call on God? Amen. I'm not talking about getting cinder blocks and going out here and throwing them through windows and blowing up trucks and setting police cars on fire. But I'm talking about getting stirred up about God again. Oh, God. Come down, break the heavens, light a fire and cause the water. He's done it before. He can do it again. Do you believe that? Say amen. amen. A prayer for revival. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed. Every eye closed.